the tech community on Clubhouse has had a terrible week, and all of us are um, confused and upset and um, and miserable and unhappy and grieving because we lost one of our best and brightest unexpectedly this week um, to what his wife refers to as an unfortunate accident. And I, I am going to refer to as a combination of not sleeping enough, not taking care of his health and not paying attention to himself while paying attention to everyone else. And so next week, I'm buying you time, Hammond. Next week, we're, <laughs> we, are, we are going to have a room on entrepreneurs and health issues because unfortunately, since I've been consulting to on, entrepreneurs for the better part of 25 years, and it really is the better part, it's like 22 years, um, I have seen three of these untimely deaths and that doesn't count the untimely suicides. So there are issues in the entrepreneurial community that are unique to the community and its passion, its sense of passion and purpose. So we're going to take that up next week. But this week, we're going to take up an, another one of my uh, favorite subjects, which is um, that my generation and the generations after mine have left a huge mess for um, for um, Generation Z and those after them to deal with. And it's causing a tremendous problem on in young children. My, I have a grandchild who is 13 who is in the UK where they are doing uh, far more to work on climate change than the US. And, in, and what we have found is that kids in the UK are actually depressed and anxious over climate change because they know that they are in the generation that, that it will affect. And Gen Z, you guys are the people that are going to have to clean up the problem that I and my compatriots left. So did I buy you enough time? For yeah, you did. you did. Okay. You did. Go for it. You've come to Karma Club, a weekly opportunity to have or hear serious discussions with smart people who want to build a community around love and help. We address serious issues in non-polarizing ways. Our currency isn't money. It's oh. not coming through. Oh, no. Okay. I, I know why. I can hear it, everybody, just in case. Oh, you're on Stephanie. Uh, yeah, you, thank you. Uh, you're on the Twitter you're spaces. Um, so I'm yes. curious to know why. Uh, so just so you know, just from my perspective, I can hear you well. I just ah, wanted you to know that. I know oh. why. I know why. Sorry about that. No, it's all fine. That's weird. All right, I'm all set up on the side. You know, it's just a uh, thing. It's Clubhouse. It's for some reason it's not letting me put in that audio. I don't know why. It's connected, uh, but it's yeah. So I I could quickly one thing. It's uh, sorry. It's uh, 
Uh, by the Hi. way, welcome all on the Clubhouse uh, side, as well as Twitter Spaces. And I've sent you speakers uh, invites for those in the Twitter Spaces as well. Thank you for joining us there, and as well as on Colin. Um, so uh, please join us on stage for uh, uh, what hopefully will be a, a very stimulating conversation that we all should be having, especially during this time, um, at this period of our lives too. It's an important juncture. And I think... Uh, yeah. Thunberg is there too now, right? In Greta Thunberg, yes. And Greta Thunberg believes, like I do, that just the idea of everybody flying their private jets to a conference on climate change is greenwashing. And she believes that most of what's happening is greenwashing. All right, last chance to play the audio, Heyman. Yeah, it's it's working. Okay, here you go. Come to Karma Club, a weekly opportunity to have or hear serious discussions with smart people who want to build a community around love and help. We address serious issues in non-polarizing ways. Our currency isn't money, it's the Karma Coin, a creator coin that supports 75 other digital creators and entrepreneurs. You can join the fund at rally.io slash creator slash karma and you can learn about Dr. Francine Hardaway, Karma Club founder, at Linktree slash Karma Club. Okay, well, I kind of heard it. Oh, uh, okay. Would, I'll work uh, on it for the uh, next one. Sorry about that. I would refer to it as suboptimal, but thank you very much. <laughs> work in thank progress. You, thank you very much anyway. It's a rude thing to say to you this week, especially. Um Hello, everybody. It's time to get started, and we're willing to talk to anyone who wants to come up to the stage and offer a, a Generation Z-type solution on how we can fix this. And do not come up and say car carbon offsets, because me and Greta Thunberg, we think carbon offsets are the greatest form of greenwashing. I mean, there are certainly other forms of greenwashing, but um, but that one I think is the biggest, the biggest one. I mean, any thoughts on the Twitter Spaces side? Or... Hey, Lavinia, welcome. No, I, wondering though, what what exactly? Hey, Andrew, um, on the Clubhouse side, what exactly do we mean by greenwashing, Francine? I mean. What we mean by greenwashing is talking the talk without walking the walk. In other words, doing things that cost you nothing. If you, if you are a wealthy corporation and you are defraying your obligation to the planet by using every plane trip you make to an unnecessary business, you know, business conference or uh, every unnecessary sales trip that you could have done online um, and did when the, the pandemic was coming uh, saved a lot of, of um, carbon into the air because jet fuel is one of the worst polluters. So, so greenwashing is saying, well, I'm still going to, do the same things that I used to do. I'm going to use single-use plastic, and I'm going to uh, 
make my house as cool as I can in the summer and as warm as I can in the winter, no matter what it costs me, because I have the money to pay for it. And if I can't pay for it in cash by paying the bills, I can also pay for it in carbon offsets. And carbon offsets are a little, this is not a family show anyway, right? A little bullshit trick that corporations dreamed up to to make it possible for them to make as few changes as possible and still fall within certain carefully selected guidelines. So that is just my opinion. And actually, it might not be 100% right because I read in an article this morning that there are actually people who are deforesting, de, stopping deforestation, reforesting um, the Amazon and other tree-filled areas. And actually the trees do make a difference. And they have brought down the, they soak up the carbon emissions. And so if, if, Carbon offset offsets were trees instead of money. Maybe that would be useful. Andrew, since you came up, do you want to weigh in for, with us? Sure. Thanks for having me up. Um, I actually, uh, we had a conversation with my Gen Z uh, sophomore college students about this very topic today. And so I'm going to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to amplify the answers that they gave me. Um, we were looking oh, that's at. That's awesome! Thank you for coming. Yeah, so um, so I, I have a class of uh, 15, um, 19 to twenty four year olds. Um, we're studying architecture in Philadelphia, and we were talking about options for a car free neighborhood. And and what we because um, when we talked to the neighbors in the urban environment that we were here in Philadelphia, the big issue is parking. And we decided that if we view that more as a symptom of a larger ask rather than asking for a garage, that the the idea is that what people are asking for is freedom of movement and transportation independence. And uh, and so the answers that we came up with, because I think 90 percent of the students that were in class today uh, used a car to get to class. And so we we did some. In Philadelphia? Yes. Don't they have mass transit in Philadelphia? We do. And only three students took the bus because the bus ran so late that one of the buses was full and they had to wait for the other bus. And a bunch of students were worried about being late. And so they took an Uber. And we also have commuter students. And they couldn't commute in on the train because it would put them in the wrong place in the city. So we wow. are, yeah. So um, real last mile problems. Um, so we added up the cost of what it costs each of the students to maintain a car for one year. Just the personal cost to them, not looking actually at the larger issues. Um, so we estimated that for the students, the cost of maintaining a car to purchase, maintain, fuel, insurance, and parking was between $3,000 and $10,000 per student per year. Um, Again, some students are commuting from a much further distance away than others. And 
And then we asked if, if you were guaranteed freedom of movement such that you wouldn't need a car, what would you reinvest that money into? And all the students immediately agreed that they would at least reinvest up to a thousand dollars into whatever would create that freedom of transportation. And then the other thing that they would invest that money into, and I was very surprised to hear this, one said that she would adopt a pet. And everybody said, but that's free. And she's like, yes, but then I could provide veterinary services. Uh, I, could get, I could get good um, housing for them and I could get proper food. And that would give me better mental health and outside. And I would have to go out and connect with people and that would make me a healthier person. And another student said that they would um, they would invest it in a bicycle and in an additional course and not taking out a student loan. Another student said that they would invest it um, that they would invest it in starting a retirement because they've seen how important it is to start a retirement early, and so they want to start a retirement plan right now before they're even fully working all the time. Anyway, the point to this is, is that what I asked them was how they were going to deal with climate change. And instead, they came up with an answer where not only were they removing fuel consumption, but they were investing the time, money, and mental well-being in being better people, not just in pumping pollutants into the air. And I thought that that was the most to a student, they all talked about how they would, they would use funds that they're currently using for polluting to make the communities, their families, and themselves better people. Uh, my name is Andrew. Thank you for having me up. So the answer is nobody wants to pollute. They just don't have viable options. I mean, if people in, in Philadelphia have to drive to school Imagine what it's like in Arizona, which is way spread out, and and it, the mass transit system doesn't go anywhere that the people go. So Arizona is totally stuck driving. Well, I I have a uh, client. I I in my uh, day job, which I don't have much time for anymore. But in my day job, I. Um, speak to I consult to startups and I have one startup that is trying to put in individual mobility uh, solutions everywhere in college towns and what that translates to is smart bike racks where uh, people can ride their bike and leave it and it, they don't have to carry a lock and it'll be automatically locked up, and the lock will be encrypted, and so on and so forth. Anyway, I think eventually he is going to spread all over the world, because what people do need is individual mobility solutions that give them time flexibility. You, you know what I'm saying? Because people don't, don't like to be pressed on their time and on a schedule on their time. Like if the bus is late, I miss my class. And I wanted to thank Andrew for coming up and sharing with us, but he put himself back in the audience. Yeah. Andrew, Andrew, thank you. That was awesome. Lavina. 
Hi, Dr. Francine. Hi, Haley. Hi. And also, everyone on the uh, Twitter spaces and call-in slide, you're also welcome to uh, chime in. Uh, I'm watching the stages, and uh, all stages are connected, so you can contract with each other. Back to Lavina. Yes, an interesting topic. Um, I love it, and it's something that I actually talked to my twin girls, who's only just turned 13. So it's uh, really interesting to get their perspectives um, in terms of this. So for them, it's very much connecting with nature and, you know, getting people to connect and, and, and experience the world for what it is. Um, the anxiety that they experience is tenfold at, at the moment. And they feel that they need to do stuff. Yeah, I think your microphone, Lavinia, it might be uh, in and out a bit. I see. Okay, give me a minute. I'll, I'll try and figure it out. Okay, perfect. And no, welcome. that's better. And welcome, senses. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Um, sorry, I was trying to charge my phone. <laughs> this app's really just finish up all your energy, um, all all your power on your phone. <laughs> yes, <I know. laughs> that is the truth. I mean, not only that, but it wears out your headphones. So I've, I've found that since I've been on Clubhouse, I need several pairs of headphones and I need to be near an electrical outlet at all times. <laughs> Go ahead, senses. Um, so to just catch up on today's discussion, it's about the role of Gen Z or um, the state of the world we are leaving to them. Which part is it on? It's on. It's really on both because as I as I focused it, it's Gen Z that has to clean it up, and it's Gen Z that actually knows that it has to clean it up, and therefore it's it's Gen Z that has depression and anxiety over you know how to get the rest of the world that not only isn't Gen Z but has ruined it for them. To clean it up. So wherever you want to take it, census is fine. Okay, thank you, um, and welcome everyone to the Karma Club. Uh, I, I, I think I just want to bring us back to those of us who have Gen Zs in our families. How are we um, integrating them into climate issues, and just for them to understand the intersectionality that exists um, between climate change issues, poverty, um, resource utilization, and, and the amount of the number of disasters that we are going through, you know. I, I, I think there is an era, an area of missed opportunity there because everything is interlinked. And perhaps if we start having we start helping them see the connections. It it would be easier for all of them to understand what 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 they are going to face in the future that in the coming future. You know, census. I I don't know whether that's true or not because from what I can see, and, and I don't know, Andrea, is your daughter considered Gen Z? My um my grandson. I don't know what generation he is. He's 13. He is petrified over climate change. I mean, absolutely petrified. He's, you know, he, he, 
won't let his mom use plastic baggies at all. He um, he looks at every single bird as though it's going to go away. And he's so concerned about, you know, about climate change that I'm, I'm I don't think they, they need uh, it having to be called to their attention. I think they need help in dealing with it from some of us who created it. Could I speak so, to that, Eliza? Yeah, Eliza in uh, Twitter Spaces, please okay. do. Yeah, so um, um, actually, a lot of a lot of people are uh, talking about the role of agriculture in in contributing to climate climate change and calling for sort of big, huge, transformative change in in agriculture. And if you think about it, it's really uh, an important aspect. It, it, agriculture is really the foundation of civilization. Um, you know, it's because we have an abundance of food that we're able to sit on Twitter and have these discussions, right? Um, and, and the important thing is that, um, you know, we have, we, a lot of people are calling for um, sweeping changes and moving to agroecology and uh, getting rid of, um, you know, very important scientific advances in agriculture. Um, we have 10,000 years of experience with organic farming and 50 years of food security in the West. And that's because of really important advances in agriculture that are just as significant as the advances in medicine. And I find that 2% of our population feeds us in the West and only, and, and that's never happened before in the history of mankind. And so I think that there are just really amazing scientific advances in agriculture that decrease the footprint of agriculture can help decrease deforestation, can help decrease greenhouse gas emissions, no-till farming can sequester carbon in the ground. And there are very, very real um, uh, important scientific advances that um, are not, people are not very well aware of. Um, and I think that it is actually important to start dialogues with companies like mine. I come from a big, huge company, Bayer, um, but I am a physician. I'm a toxicologist. And I think that physicians being very well-meaning are calling for big changes in the agriculture space to mitigate um, greenhouse gas emissions and mitigate um, global warming. Um, but I'm not sure that they have a uh, a, an entirely sound understanding of what kind of science is actually out there that could actually help your 13-year-old realize that there are some really amazing solutions that are not um, greenwashing. Um, and I would love to have this dialogue with a, a whole variety of people, but um, academic physicians, and I, I come from academia uh, starting out with, but a lot of academic physicians want to hold companies at arm's length, but there's some really unbelievably good science coming from them that has real world solutions to this problem. So we can reassure Gen Z that, um, that thing, that there are some good solutions. Could you start a room on that? 
Yeah, I, I'm very new to this this kind of thing. Um, I would love to start some, some kind of room on this. I, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm a kind of a dinosaur. So if somebody would help me, do yeah, that, Lisa, I we're welcome to. I mean, I think this is a important yeah. discussion. Yeah, I think so too. And I think we all need to partner together. And that is the uh, the goal of Karma Club. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's connect offline. Of course, I can't see. I've, I've followed. The- uh, yeah, it's Lisa uh, okay. Dunn, Doctor Lisa. Liza. 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 Sorry about that, Liza. Liza. That's fine. No problem. So D R L I Z M D, and I'll 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 send you the picture. Yeah, and let's. Let's get together offline and plan another room where we can talk about instead of, you know, my snarky comments on greenwashing, which I still think I deserve to make. Um, I'd, sure, like sure. To, I, I'd like to hear where corporations really, you know, can be involved to make a difference. Um, I, I'd like to hear from Andrea because she does have a young daughter. Thanks, uh, Dr. Francine and Heyman uh, and Census. Uh, So she and I were just talking yesterday. She is uh, 17 and applying to college. So that's the background. She uh, identifies as Gen Z. And uh, she, in one of her college application essays, she wrote about how when we were living in India for just about a decade, uh, the pollution at certain parts of the year was really quite, um, bad and we had air filters and we were using N95 masks uh, well before the arrival of COVID-19 and she remembers sometimes huddling in a room where we had the doors and the windows taped, you know, with air purifiers on, you know, total you know, privilege scenario completely admittedly and, but, but she, she writes about how climate is the biggest um, you know, kind of one of the biggest challenges of their time. So it's sort of very present in their minds. Uh, Her and her classmates do have anxiety over it. So I feel that the tools, part of what they need is both, you know, hopeful optimism, but they need to be skilled, I think, in in leadership and advocacy. Uh, I think in many ways they should have a seat at some of these tables next to leaders so they can see the process that goes on when negotiating uh, deals to move us forward. And I agree with Liza um, who just spoke or Dr. Liza, forgive me, um, which is just a sharing of the, the solutions uh, and, and the optimism, but also most importantly, I think one of the things she shared was the most important thing uh, that, she felt like they were learning was problem solving uh, how to, how to work in teams uh, and where they got praised for problem solving in different ways uh, as opposed to just kind of, you know, trying to solve for a particular answer in a linear fashion. And this is Andrea and I'm done speaking. Yeah. Let's let's Andrea and, and Eliza, Dr. Eliza, let's put together a room on that and try and get some um, Z- Gen Z people. Of course, we all, I only know like one Gen Z person and it's Royfield, but we, he, might, he must have friends. And we'll get some more Gen Z people involved and see if we can find a way to start a, you know, I'm good at starting small movements. We can start a small movement 
to move things forward because that sounds very good. I know for, for a fact that there are a number of, um, of documentaries on regenerative agriculture on Netflix, but I'm not sure if that's what Dr. Eliza is talking about. Oh, yeah. Ben! Food, food Evolution oh. is a movie that you should watch. Food Evolution, Scott Hamilton Kennedy's the director. He's um, a, a award, a Academy Award nominated director. It, totally worth your watch. Um, that's one. Okay. Unfortunately, I have to run because I have another meeting, but I'm really looking forward to hoping to speak to, with you all more. Okay. So I've actually very, very messaged nice you all. I messaged you, you all. And great. great. Um, ben. Ben? Hi, Dr. Francine. What is around your neck, Ben? <laughs> um, I had neck surgery about two weeks ago. So I am uh, re so uh, recovering. Flexing. Yeah, so yeah, that's why I'm in uh, Arizona. I'm in Tucson. I think I had told you that. Oh, yes, but I didn't know that that's why you were coming. Yeah. So I'm on the mend, and I'm here until December 2nd, so I'll, I'll back-channel you. Because I keep thinking that if we can figure it out, we can meet halfway and have we a cup, totally a cup can. of tea. We totally can. I even know where that is. It's, you that know, would be great. It's, there'll, there'll be a Starbucks in Casa Grande that we can meet at once you're... <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> once you're a little... That would be great. In the meantime, I do have a son who's Gen Z, yes. and, and he's uh, just also, like Andrea, just applying to colleges. And uh, um, I, he's not – the thing is, I, I, I want to see – and I'm going to be talking with him uh, about this and about – and he lives in Los Angeles and about what he can do with his uh, organizing friends uh, his age in Los Angeles and see if we can sort of connect, connect networks up together. I think that would be a great thing. That, that, yeah, please do. And then report back to us because we are going to do another room because of Dr. Eliza and, um, and the doc documentary that she mentioned. Hayden, do you think you can find the link to food security? Yes, or, I, I will do that and, for you. Yeah. And, and also and see, yeah, I'll see, see you also on the Twitter spaces with all four of you and Andrea as well. And Andrea has a great show coming up, by the way, with Dr. Jeffrey Sachs on November 8th. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Andrea runs After We Vote, um, which is an activist group that I belong to um, that's trying to figure out how we can get better people involved in running the country at every level and get rid of the ridiculous polarization that's stopping us from getting anything done. And that's on both sides of the aisle. And Dr. Francine, if I could just quickly add that for the young people, um, I think it's also critically important, um, the civic education and the importance of voting as the rising 18s, uh, and that they should be looking at scorecards of what issues matter to them. If you look at the polls, they are much more um, informed consumers, uh, and they care about where they're working. And as part of the climate voice campaign um, that's been kind of running through the halls of Clubhouse, which was founded by the former head of sustainability, both at Google and at Facebook, Bill Weil. They are um, actually also 
moving into campuses where they're having conversations with young people about what kind of workplace and what kind of company they want to work for. So I think, you know, they really are a force uh, for change. Tell, tell us more about um, Climate Voice and how to get in touch with them. Um, so you can... All right, I'm, I'm not, census oh, is unmuted, I, so I thought I, maybe... I will, I'll go, back, go after Andrea. I just had something I wanted to add on what she was saying. Okay, go ahead, Andrea. I, I Just to share the information, we have... Um, everyone's kind of busy this week uh, between Washington trying to get the Build Back Better Act going through and then at COP. Uh, so this week isn't good, but there's going to be a room on November 16th with Bill and the, the Climate Voice team, and then a room after that with all the OGs on climate that we're putting together between climate and the ocean. Uh, we don't have that in the calendar yet about kind of next steps moving forward because it's going to be this COP26 is just one you know kickoff of what's going to be a, another massive mobilization because people have had enough and it's going to take all of us. So climatevoice.org is something you can look for. I've actually tweeted that out recently. Um, and so that's a resource. But November 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern in the calendar, we put it in We the Future. Um, and that's going to be what happened to COP. And, you know, and that's going to include updates from Washington on legislation. Um, Andrea. Andrea, this sounds really great. Uh, I think what I was bringing in terms of that intersectionality is that when when we see those who are um, interacting with it and perhaps how this messaging is going, um, I think people 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 are affected by it differently. For instance, if you look at the U.S., whether you're on the West Coast or East Coast, and even just understanding issues to do with um, climate change and resource use, right? Um, how all of these issues are working together. Secondly, how are we tying it in with, with, with some of the debates that are happening in Congress, whether it's some of the issues in the Build Back Better or looking at issues to do with whether it's carbon, carbon, um, the carbon tax that the president is trying to get through, all of these various issues and how people use the resources um, within their homes and what they buy, you know? So I, I, I think what I'm bringing is how are we connecting all of that to areas where people have issues with water, where people who live next to farmlands and its impact on their livelihoods and the fact that certain states are, are, are becoming water scarce, right? When you look at what's going on in Vegas and all of these other areas where they don't really have enough water. Um, so I think you brought something up, which is that there is a need for us to, to, to work on the messaging on how we include them. Um, and we'll start seeing this on how they vote and even how they show up when certain issues are happening, that they are able to bring out their voices and the future predictions that exist on its impact on their lives. This is census. I'm complete. Thank you, census. I'm going to ask Rick, Sanchez to speak next because he raised his hand, but there are a number of people on stage that we haven't heard from that I would like to hear from if they would like to speak. So I hate going in PTR order. So if we could just try after Rick to go popcorn style for a while until, um, until we get to the point where we're talking over each other. Rick? 
Go ahead. Hey, Dr. Francine, thank you very much. Uh, this is a great subject. And, um, you know, I've been working primarily on local issues here on, I live in a 200,000 person town on the central coast of California, but I grew up in Kansas and Wisconsin and I've lived in Texas. And, um, you know, I am really impressed with the Gen Z crowd here in my community. Uh, as with every generation, it's a very mixed bag. You know, there are people that don't care at all about politics. They just don't want to hear about it. And, but there are some, and there are some activists who are super noise, noisy and completely, uh, uh, how sh unrealistic in their expectations. But I've also found lots of groups, and they're generally small, really grassroots organizations that are doing things like, there's a group called Coastal Keepers. And it's a bunch of high school and call early college students that formed a group that they go up and they clean up the coast in poor areas. Um, and yes, there are still some areas of California where the coast, there's poor people living there. But they're all those are the areas where there's things like oil refineries. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of industrial pollution there. They, it seems to be a place where people come to illegally dump a lot. And they've formed a, a group of grassroots kids that go out and they clean up these things every weekend. Every weekend they're out there. Sometimes there's two people. Sometimes there's 100 people. And one of the other things that they do is they have started talking to homeless people who live near the beaches and they take them food, they develop relationships with them, and then they've been starting to to find resources to help if there's drug addiction, if there's mental health problems. And these are high school and early college age kids doing this all on their own, getting paid through raising money through Venmo to buy dumpsters and things like that. Uh, I'm really impressed with many of these groups, but they're not out there making a lot of noise. They're just out there doing the work. And we don't hear about them because the press doesn't write about them. The press writes about... Because there's no local press anymore. That's well, that's true. That's true. And, you know, uh, that's the one thing is getting out in... If people get out into parts of their community that they don't normally go into, you're going to find that the world is a much better place than we hear about. Um, and that's what gives me hope. Um, and, you know, I've pretty much stopped watching cable news on any channel because I just don't hear news anymore. I hear opinion. And I much rather go out there and see the food, pe the people doing food banks and doing, health fund drives, and there's a lot of them. And, and a lot of them are young, and that, that gives me a lot of hope. Because my generation, frankly, I'm 67, and, and my generation kind of gave up. I think that may be... We did. We started all right. But yeah. We, but then we gave up somewhere and became selfish and polluting 
And, you know, all of these things that make me feel sad and guilty. Well, I think part of that, though, is, is it's a cycle of life. When you're young, you have some time and you're very idealistic. And then, you know, you get to your working age and you have to make a living. You have to plan for your life. And, and I think that you've talked about this many times, Dr. Francine, about finding a work-life balance. And I think that that is something that really needs to be stressed, even in our schools. When we teach people about living, we have to teach them, find a work-life balance. And your life will be much better if you can do that. And uh, that's it. Thank you very much for letting me speak. A pleasure. All right. Who would like to go next? Stanley, you've unmuted. So therefore you go next. And Alan, I saw you. So you'll go after Stanley. Thanks, everybody. And thanks for thanks. uh, Thank you, uh, Heyman, for letting me on stage. Well, I just have a couple of, well, two responses to some previous comments. First, I think when I came into the room, you guys were talking about GMOs. And then the last, I I forgot who spoke last, I I believe it's Rick talking about work-life balance. I think work-life balance really depends on how how much assets you have to compete for such opportunities. Long story short, this could be a topic on its own. But my response on... GMO foods is that I think there's a communication problem in terms of the trade-offs between both options. And I think what matters is that there's probably need, there probably needs to be either more transparency or more communications on like what the, on the ingredients of let's say GMO foods. And in, in, for transparency purposes, specifically for people with allergy to allergies to certain foods, and there probably needs to be some sort of either oversight or communication of that oversight, because because they they do have a yield effect on agriculture, and agriculture has a lot of problems in terms of predict, predictability of weather patterns that would affect their cultivating environments as well as soil conditions as well as whether they would have a reliable source of water depending on where where they are so anyway um uh, feel free to read feel free to reach out i'm going to end it here and feel free to reach out to me through the back channel if you want to chat about it for some more well, I would like to talk about the work-life balance piece of it when next week when we talk about entrepreneurship and uh, and health. Um, but right now, I'd like to reset the room, otherwise known as remind you that you're at the Karma Club, and it's sponsored by the Karma Coin, and the Karma Coin is a coin that supports creators and. Uh, this week, we are giving away Karma Coins because we lost uh, a very dear friend of Tech News Around the World, which is one of the biggest clubs on Clubhouse, and he died unexpectedly, and Heyman and I are feeling um, 
pretty bereaved about it. And so I decided that the best thing to do would be to give away some karma. So if you would like some karma, you can click on the link above and it will take you to what's known as an airdrop. And you can airdrop yourself two karma coins and use them to remember um, Chris Jung and also um, all the other people who are working on all the other issues to make our world a better place, like, um, oh, like Andrea, for instance, or Census, or, you know, I mean, there's plenty of people. Alan, you're next. Thank you. Uh, so I live in Chicago and I'd like to make a comment about the food issue that was raised earlier. So in the last couple of months, I spend every day, every evening with, uh, with one of the rooms, it's actually the agricultural room, a bunch of uh, farmers, a uh, lot of them small farmers, and and talking about climate. So they feel in a way under assault by by everybody else because they they put in a position that they they put a, a lot of responsibility on you know, the methane gas and all the uh, pollution. Even though, if you look at statistically, they you know the much much bigger polluters are out there. Uh, some of it, in, in my opinion, is done by some of the vegans that, t- that t- take an opportunity to try to chip into the. Uh, meat producers, but but overall, they, they feel rightly or wrongly that uh, despite all the efforts of uh, regenerative agriculture, they're practicing and everything else, they they put, you know, as a big polluters, and of course that caused resentment and lack of communication, and and they you know just like everybody else, when you're under attack, you go on the defense, and you're not willing to listen and communicate, and I think that. The majority of us that are not farmers, especially the small farmers, they don't have the you know, big, big funding that, like, you know, that oil companies or the you know cement industries that are much that are big polluters. They they, they feel in a way defenseless, defenseless, and threatened on their way of life. So I think that when we talk about farming, and uh, we need to understand where they're coming from and how to bring them in rather than attacking. And I'm done. Thank you, Alan. Josh, I saw you on mute before, and I read your bio. So, Enviro Markets, talk to me. So, hey, Dr. Francine, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, thank you for inviting me to share the, the stage with you. And I, I'd like to offer you a perspective as, as a, a boomer and a father of a doomer. My, my son is, uh, I think, it falls in that category, Gen Z who has a perspective that um, the prior generations have left him with few options. Um, and the best thing to do is to figure out a way to manage the consequences that we've left them in a way that um, insulates those who have the least to do with climate change and the least resources to insulate them as much as possible from the consequences of it. But I, I got to tell you, as somebody who's been in this business for the course of my career, I'm an optimist. Uh, yeah, I'm a boomer, but I'm an optimist, and I haven't given up. And nor do I think the that there's reason to give up. And I think that there's 
of uh, a, uh, this is the intergenerational challenge that we should be looking at as an opportunity as opposed to, uh, as opposed to cause for depression. Uh, certainly I understand it as a father of a doomer, but we have great optimism out in front of us because of where we've come from. We grew up in the 60s. We grew up with Superfront sites. The Great Lakes were on fire. We had Love Canal, Times Beach. We had bomb shelters. We had the Vietnam War. Uh, these were existential challenges that were in front of us that we were able to look at, look at the man, look at Washington. And say, uh oh, did you go into older the generations? <laughs> the older generations were. Did I go into the matrix? Uh, this is not the matrix, Francine. This is reality. Um, and this is cold, hard reality. I, I'm working with right now with uh, an organization called Emerging Force Finance Accelerator, which is with the support of three governments, the UK, Norway, the United States, uh, 19 corporations, including Bayer, GSK, Amazon, Airbnb, um, and a number of others who have committed to mobilize a billion dollars in climate finance to provide tropical forest countries with monies that they can use to protect their forests, the lungs of the world. Um, yeah, the challenges are out there. But if you look at a challenge and say, this is an opportunity to take advantage of, to move, uh, to break molds, to move ourselves beyond where we are, then we have an opportunity to say, we can solve this. This is what I do, for example, with a carbon market simulation tool that I uh, provide to colleges and universities and say, these emissions markets, these environmental markets are opportunities to mobilize finance, to make decisions, to drive change that will yield political, environmental, and social results that would not otherwise be possible. So that's why I'm an optimist, despite the fact that I'm a boomer as a father of doom. And this is Josh, and thanks for letting me the opportunity. And you know what, that, that's awesome, because first of all, I've never heard it called Doomer before, but uh, but I do know some, some of the uh, attitudes, you know, that some of the young kids have. You, you could certainly call them Doomers, but I really like your, um, I like your optimism. And when you remind me of what was going on in the 60s, yeah, I was there. And, you know, we also had a lot of anti-nuclear rallies and a lot of solar energy um, enthusiasm. So then you're so optimistic, but why didn't any of those things happen? Well, we put out the fires, Francine. We, we, cl we passed Superfund. We, we cleaned up the hazardous waste, some of the hazardous waste sites. We set into place. We passed the Clean Air Act, so the, the Resource Conservation Recovery Act, the, the Toxic Substances Control Act, the Federal Infect Insecticides Act. Uh, the, we uh, it ended up changing, uh, turning uh, the environment into a, uh, not a, just a problem, but an opportunity that needs to be managed. We recognize that there is a connection between uh, a healthy economy and a healthy environment. It's not a choice. You don't have to choose between. So I, I, I sorry, I, I can't accept the fact that we haven't um, looked at the problems and solved and, and taken steps to solve them. We are in the process. It's not going fast enough. If you look at the, the Gen Z today, they have every right to, to say, what have you done? They woke up in the back of the car and mom and dad was blindly driving over the cliff. 
and they're, they're, they have every right to say, what are you doing? And if they, we should help them understand that they can mobilize themselves into saying, rather than expressing anxiety and depression, turn that into uh, an opportunity to affect change. If you don't like the leaders that, you're, that are running, then elect new leaders. If you don't like the choices, then run yourself. There is opportunity in front of them, and that's what we have to do uh, to mobilize them and say, this is yours, your opportunity to solve and to take advantage of. So uh, that's how I look. Franz, Dr. Francine, I have a question for Josh. Um, from that yes. funding, how much of it is catered for the Gen Zs and in including them in these discussions, as well as do they have a seat on these tables that you are talking about where you discuss the fun? plus the top companies that are interested in this kind of work. Thank you. Absolutely. Their economic power is is tremendous. You know, the companies that are involved with the the climate change challenge, who are either polluting or the polluters who have the opportunities to solve the the challenge, they have um, a social license to operate, which is only given to them by Gen Z and others by expressing their dollars, making choices about how they spend their monies, about the companies that they support that they want to work for. They can go work for an oil company or they can go work for a company that's that's committed, that looks at climate change as the biggest opportunity that has ever uh, been placed in front of us is that's going to require the mobilization of trillions of dollars, four trillion, five trillion dollars of the court between now and 2050. They can make that choice. And by choosing to work for these companies, by choosing to support the companies with their dollars, by electing leaders who understand that they have to deliver value for today's generations as well as for those 20 to 30 years in the future, they can they have a seat at the table. So the, the challenges are huge. I don't, I don't undermine that. I, I don't underestimate that. But Dr. so are Francine? the opportunities. Yes. Sorry, I have to jump in. <laughs> I have to jump in here for a quick minute, if that's okay, in response Please, to Josh. And, the, and then I'd like to hear, after Andrea, I'd like to hear Jennifer, and then uh, probably have to, oh, Stephanie wants to talk, and then um, I have to close the room. But go ahead, Andrea, and then Jennifer, and then Stephanie. Thank you, Josh, for the, thank you, Dr. Francine. Um, and thank you, Josh, for the infusion of optimism. I actually really am on the same page of page as you in the sense that I think it is certainly one of the most exciting uh, times to be alive and a huge opportunity for uh, young people uh, and all of us to reshape, you know, our trajectory moving forward. So that part, is exciting. Uh, the emphasis on innovation and even just, you know, kind of job creation through, um, you know, the rapid switching uh, in, you know, uh, to green technology and uh, many other things. But one thing that we shouldn't forget is that the technical assistance to help people adapt to this change uh, definitely also needs to be financed. But, um, and with you, I agree that the young people uh, by the way, they're already mobilizing. So we don't need to mobilize them. We need to equip them with the tools. They are out there and they are mobilizing and we can get help to help them get more of their peers involved. But they are already out there on the streets. Uh, and just as an example, but they, they don't really, they have 
companies recognize them in terms of their buying power, but they are actually, they don't really, really have a seat at the decision-making table. There are some organizations that are training young people up as young board leaders. There's a pioneering model in the Netherlands. Um, and I think even in the U S there's models where young people are like shadow a board member and, and learn what it's like to sit at the governorship or the leadership of a company. Uh, we need more examples like that. And I'm going to close with at the end of the day, the photograph that was taken of the youth activists at COP was, was, was with Secretary Antonio Guterres of the United Nations. There was not, that photo should have been taken with those youth activists and on the 140 leaders that are at COP now. They, they should have been privileged to have the young people in the photo with them if we were really talking about true intergenerational leadership and seizing the moment. And I look forward to sharing, I'm flying over to COP and I'm going to be talking to a lot of the young activists on the ground. So I look forward to reporting live from the ground and sharing some of their perspectives on this with you. But Josh, I, I've seen you in other rooms. Thank you so much for sharing. And I, I do agree with you on many points, but youth leadership and don't forget everybody, the people under 18 who don't vote, uh, they are going to be in a tough spot, especially around the de- the world developing countries, the most developed, you know, the most vulnerable nations. These people need social floor protections. They need money and they need teeth in the commitments that are made by countries at COP that they are going to be protected through climate adaptation. Uh, and they can seize innovation where they can, but with playing field. We, we can't forget them. So thank you. Sorry, Dr. Francine, for speaking so long. No worries, Andrea. Uh, uh-oh. Did she leave? Yeah. Ellen? Oh, Jennifer. Jennifer. Hello. Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I always end up uh, jumping into rooms which are of keen interest at the last minute. And I know you want to close... But I was just listening to what Josh was saying and um, what the lady before Andrea was saying. And I, 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 I wanted to really draw on two key points. The real innovation that we haven't yet been able to master, and I take Josh's points very much on board, loved what you said and with the optimism with which you said it, around the fact that the environmental movement since the 60s has had numerous successes, ranging from activism that changed legislation around acid rain to, you know, lots and lots of different things. But the truth of the matter is we're living in a world, and this is the doom part of me, we're living in a world where there is more inequality and the lack of equity between the global north and the global south, between those who have and those who do not have within the economic sort of um, uh, sphere of, 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 of opportunity and vib- vibrancy. That split is the chasm which I think we have to address. And I see legislation and judicial activism as playing a key role in that because ultimately it is very, very difficult to use your dollars incrementally in in collective action unless you mobilize on such a mass scale. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm not saying the young people are not doing it. They are trying to do it. But to overturn the infrastructure, to overturn the massive juggernaut of industry um, that is that is perpetuating our 
our climate emergency is a huge, huge ask from a generation. It is akin to mobilizing for war. So I think that ultimately we do have to support them with further tools. We do have to support them in actually being honest enough about the discrimination, about the economic disparities that exist in the world that we're handing over to them. And then I, I look, I, I have to say I'm kind of partial to this angle because I'm a lawyer by training. I'm a social entrepreneur, but I'm a lawyer also. One person, I've seen numerous examples of this, one organization can take to court and that is the that's that's a that's a mechanism that exists within a lot of different societies right around the world. High risk, but possible to take to court to cause ripple effects that actually make it it, it conceivable that a huge company like Royal Dutch Shell, on behalf of a class action suit or on behalf of Friends of the Earth, can make Shell or Chevron or any other company which is a polluter or which is 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 pretty nefarious when it comes to or, or accountable when it comes to emissions, they can be changed through that kind of activism. So I think that just in terms of the the sort of uh, theory of change, we do have to look at people, not just young people, Gen Z not just voting with their dollars, but also having the acumen to become politically and and, and even, if needs be, uh, legislatively or judicial activists, uh, because that is where you have more power than you think you have. And I don't know if I, I'm I'm more on the side of relying on a million people being aligned or a billion people, young people, being aligned on a particular course of action, I actually think that in terms of where the real fruit can lie, it can often be a committed core of a smaller group doing things in a politically and an agitatingly um, really focused way. And that, I think, is historically how a lot of the gains have been made in terms of environmental movement success historically. Well, I'm done speaking. Jennifer, I've never been so happy in my life that something is being recorded as I am to, to have recorded what you just said. It was absolutely amazing. Stephanie, would you like to bring us home? Yes, thank you so much for hosting. Uh, my condolences also on um, Chris. Um, so, so excited that you're doing this room. I haven't been to this room before, but I do hang out in all the sustainability, climate, environmental rooms on Clubhouse and a lot going on. Very exciting dialogues, conversations, projects. Um, so, I guess I have. Uh, two Gen Z sons on the older end, and they are not depressed, I'm, and their friends do not seem depressed. They seem busy, busy building their lives, getting out of college, uh, finding jobs, trying to figure it out, you know. 
uh, dating, that kind of thing. Um, but I do also have neighbors who are on the younger side, like your, I believe it, you said your grandson, Dr. Uh, Francis. Um, Francine. He, 13. He's 13. Yes. Yeah. So younger, on the younger end, I see my neighbors and I have talked with some of the kids and I do engage with them. And they are the ones that are much more emotionally um, triggered and involved, you know, feeling it, I think, partially, they don't have the skill set to deal with it. I mean, it's such an overwhelming thing for everybody. Um, my older, my sons who are older are using the power of the dollar. They're also trying to educate me. Sometimes they tell me, oh, I'm so out of date. I think I'm pretty current, but they think I'm out of date. So I think there's a difference in the spectrum of that generation. That's one thing I wanted to bring up. The other thing is I wanted to reiterate uh, what some people have said here um, about engagement. I think engagement brings hope. I think action brings hope. So I think it's incumbent on us to teach this generation how to engage. Some of them know, but some of them don't yet know. And I'm just talking about basic skills, basic um, public speaking skills, improv skills, how to write uh, elected, how to um, go to a rally, how to, you know, just role modeling and, and teaching them, taking their hand and teaching them how to take action. There's many ways to take action, but I do think action brings hope. Um, so that's one thing. And then I think that's about- another great quote, you know, <laughs> I don't clip things, but that was a great clip. Yeah, but I do think we all feel, you know, as opposed to sitting in front of our computers and doing this all the time, which that generation tends to do a lot of, um, you know, is getting um, something physical and something uh, emotional and intellectual happening all together to trigger hope and let them see that other people are working on it when they physically see it. You know, it's really important. A rally, a march, uh, whatever. There's many ways. Um, And then I also want to mention something that we entered into a crisis about 20 years ago or more of about 50% of children in the United States were really not engaging with nature. I don't know what those statistics are today. I, I think that they're still pretty similar where they're just going from their box of their house to the car to getting to school the box of the school coming home doing homework um and not having any um time with nature let alone free time with nature and i think in order to have um new generations commit to acting and working on solving these problems they need to feel a bond with nature so i would encourage people to do simple things take your neighborhood kids on a bike ride start a nature club go for a hike with them um anything encourage parents to get their kids out once a day for 20 minutes or more 20 minutes sounds so paltry but that's what a lot of kids don't even get that so i would encourage people to really look just observe your the kids on your street wherever you live and say how much time are they actually outside Uh, you know even if they're just sitting in their yard that's um you know they can watch birds i mean it's just it sounds so elementary but i think it's fundamental and then i would say that 
there are two books I want to recommend. One is uh, the climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe, and she just joined Clubhouse, so you can actually follow her. Um, she just wrote a book um, called um, Saving, I think it's called Saving the Climate, a client, a, something about um, hope, how to have hope about saving the climate or working on the climate in a divided world. You can find her. It's Catherine with an A, K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E, Hayhoe, H-A-Y-H-O-E. She is renowned for being able to communicate the complexities and give hope in a very basic way. And her, her bottom line message is use your voice. And that's what I think we can do, but also teaching the generation to do. The other book I'd recommend is not so much his book as much, but the topic, which is Paul Hawkins just came out with a book on regeneration, how to solve the climate crisis in one generation. And a woman I just heard this morning, I can't remember her name. I think it's Karina, C-O-R-I-N-N-A. She also is on Clubhouse. She is doing a breaking down his book into um, more digestible content. And she has a website. I sent it to Hayden. Uh, I think it's Hayden is his name. Heyman, sorry, Heyman. I just... Um, back channeled you the website Heyman I don't know if you want to put it at the top we'll do but that's something that we can all attend I don't know if it's digestible for younger Gen Z but certainly older Gen Z um but that also um I've worked with Paul Hawkin in the past I think you know he's also uh, a good good person to follow and to listen to so uh, with that I really thank you for bringing this up and addressing this I'm so excited to see a whole new bunch of people engaged on this topic because it is my um, passion work and and to just oh I did want to just address what Josh said about policy and the good work we've done when we were younger because I am in the older group um you know, yes, I agree with Josh that we have passed incredible policies in the past. We have been engaged. We have been fighting. I personally took time out to raise my family, homeschool them, do, you know, that kind of career stuff. But I'm back and smarter. And I also think our policies are old and there's room for the new generation to help us create new policies. Our, our policies are dated and you know, we need to update them and we need to be much more aggressive in our policies. And I am I am in California and I lobby our legislature. And I think engaging civically and teaching kids that politics is a positive thing is another great thing to do. And with that, I close. And thank you so much. Thank you, Stephanie. I have violated my own rule of not going over the hour because these the people who were speaking were so awesome and I couldn't cut any of them off, but I actually am late to another meeting. So this will be it for the karma club meeting for today. Um, and, and I am um, next week. We're going to talk about entrepreneurship and taking care of yourself. And, um, <laughs> And I love all of you, and I feel so blessed that you show up and have these discussions with me because they educate all of us, and, and they never become confrontational, and they never become ugly. 
And that is, that is the whole goal of the Karma Club on Clubhouse. There are pl plenty of places where these things are discussed, but the discussions veer off in directions that um, I find are not, shall we say, fruitful. So, and by the way, that's one reason to keep rooms at an hour. But the, these, the Karma Club is a safe space. It is a totally safe space. We can discuss anything here, and it will not become a place where people will try to shoot you down. So I promise. Anyway, thank you very much again. I will see you next week. I'm going to end the room. Thank you, Francia. Thank you. Thank you. Take her on the Twitter spaces as well as on the call-in side.